0: Trumpet on the ground
1: In answer to one person's question this morning, no, I'm not going to dance the chicken dance again. Uh, we did that. I shared it across the street. We did that at a funeral on Monday as a way of closing the funeral before we ate lunch together. Uh, but no, that was a one time. <laughs> it wasn't a very auspicious beginning, if you think about it. Three years of teaching, three years of training, Three years of preparation, three years of pouring his life into these dozen men so that upon their faith and testimony, he could build his church. But it seemed to turn out that it was three years down the drain, because when the time of testing came, when he needed them most, none were to be found. One betrayed him, one denied him, only one is recorded to have actually stayed around long enough to watch him die, while in fear all the others disappeared in the crowds of Jerusalem. It didn't look like a very hopeful future for the new church, a church which needed strong, dependable leadership if it was going to survive. What can God do with such ones as these, men who failed him time after time? Only days earlier The twelve were arguing about who was going to be the greatest among them. James and John got their mother involved and had her ask Jesus if they could sit on his right and left hand in his kingdom, positions of honor. The rest of them were outraged that these two had the audacity to ask what each of them were secretly longing for. What hope was there for the eleven? Jesus had given them chance after chance before, but not this time. As he hung on the cross, their time seemed to run out, and now they were going to have to live with their failure. But above them all stood Peter. Peter, strong and proud and honest. One of Jesus' closest friends who just the night before boasted in front of everyone else that he was different from them, that he would be the most faithful among them. Even if they ran away, he would be true, he said. And within only a couple of hours, he ate his words when the pressure was turned on. Jesus was arrested, about to be sentenced to, de- to death, and Peter denied him three times. What hope is there for someone like Peter? Someone who would openly deny his friends. Peter realized that also. I'm sure. Because scripture says when the rooster crowed three times, Peter not just wept when confronted by his failure, but it says he wept bitterly. That's a cry of utter despair, a cry reflecting loss of hope that things had gone too far. What can God do with someone who had turned his back on this son? Then came Easter morning an empty tomb followed by the report from the women who had gone to the tomb of the sudden appearance of Jesus himself. More than anything, for Peter and the rest of the disciples came new hope, the assurance that no matter what they had done, no matter what had transpired earlier, how badly they had failed, Jesus was standing there with arms outstretched, calling them, offering one more chance, just as he does for us. No matter what you and I have done with our lives, where we've been, or how we have failed in life, Jesus stands not just ready and willing, but longing for us to come back. Just like in the story of the prodigal, Jesus stands watching and waiting and longing, and when he sees us coming, he runs to meet us. Both Jesus or J- James and Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins, and that's exactly what the cross does. A love which does not spare its own son. William Barclay says that the most precious thing in the whole passage about the resurrection, in the passage I'm about to read in the book of Mark, is not the stone being rolled away. He said it's it's not even the words that he has written. Rather, it's two words which are easy for all of us to miss words found only in the Gospel of Mark, a Gospel which most scholars believe is based on Peter's own memoirs. See if you can spot them while I read. Mark chapter 16, verse 1 begins, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But Go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Go, tell his disciples, and Peter. How those words must have made Peter's heart's race, his hope soar. What comfort must have been provided at a time where he would have been in the depths of despair... Perhaps some of us need to hear that message also, beset by feelings of failure and defeat, feelings that after all we've done, there's nothing God can do for us or use us for our sin and our guilt, eating away at our insides, constantly reminding us of failures. Maybe we need to hear those words too. And Peter, and Steve, and Dan, and whoever. All of us at one time or another have done things we swore we had never, would never do. We've sinned and failed at some point. Perhaps in the pressure of a moment, we too have denied to speak for our Lord, or proclaim our faith, or wandered away and got caught up in pursuit of other things. The message of Easter this morning remains that no matter what we've done, no matter what we have become, through Christ, God calls us home. As Jonah learned, there's no distance too far from God. No cave too dark, no hole too deep, that his arms cannot reach out and pull us to himself. So the angel said, go tell Peter. His failure is not fatal. Christ is risen. The glorious message of Easter. He's alive. The tomb is empty. Jesus' victory is complete. What an exciting message for believers to proclaim. Our Lord is risen. Though the disciples may have failed, though we may fail, the cross is not defeat. Hope is resurrected. Like Joseph's words to his brothers after they had sold him into slavery in Egypt, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. What God intended for good was our forgiveness, was mercy found at the foot of the cross. Through these, God calls us to go out into the world and tell them there is hope that we can come home to the one for whom we were created. Imagine what that simple message would have meant to Peter and the rest of the eleven after they had spent long hours following his arrest and crucifixion alone with their thoughts, reliving their fears and their failures. Imagine what it meant for them after they had to struggle with what they had done how they had failed. Is it any wonder that the angel said, go tell Peter? Is it any wonder that John tells us that when he heard the news, Peter got up and ran for all he was worth to the tomb to see for himself? What that message is for us is too. We have fallen. We too had a part in his death. All have sinned, Scripture says, and fallen short. And our sin may seem great, our failures overwhelming our lives in a mess, but he is risen. The tomb is still empty, and God is still calling us to come home. The way back to God stands open. Where's that Easter hope in our lives? On a cold December night in New Jersey in 1914, Thomas Edison's factory was humming with activity when this plant that was made of concrete and still a plant that was deemed fireproof went up in flames. It was a spectacular fire. Edison's 24-year-old son, Charles, desperately searched for his father. And when he finally found him, Edison was just standing there, staring at the fire. His white hair was billowing in the wind. His face was being illuminated by the flames. Charles later recounted, My heart ached for him. Here he was, 67 years old. Everything he had worked for in his life was now going up in flames. Yet when he saw me, he shouted, Charles, where's your mother? When I told him I didn't know, he said, Go find her. Bring her here. She'll never see anything like this as long as she lives. The next morning, Edison looked at the ruins of his factory and is reported to have said, There's value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. That's the resurrection. New life, new hope, new start, salvation. Thank God with Easter, each of us can start anew because of Calvary. Our sins, our mistakes are nailed to the cross. If any man be in Christ, Paul said, we become a new creation. And it's that fact which for 2,000 years believers like us have taken with us wherever we go and which we come back to again and again whenever despair begins to set in, when persecution arises, when our failures filter to the top. It's that which brings hope. He's alive, the angel said. Go tell Peter. And singling him out, he brings words of comfort, not condemnation. Of restoration for Peter, not punishment, of love, not anger. No matter what he had done, Jesus still loved him. Think of all the things he could have said and done, like we might be tempted to do when someone fails us. We could have been concerned about all the time and energies wasted. In the current state of the disciples, he could have been scolding Peter for his failure, asking, why did you do it? But there's no rebuke, no hint of criticism, only concern. Go tell Peter, I'm alive. He wanted him restored, not lectured. Peter, after all, would have been already feeling low enough. He knew he had failed. If it were me, I probably would have encouraged those feelings a little bit. Think of the last time someone may have disappointed you or let you down. Don't you find ways to punish them to remind them what we have done to needle them a little bit? Why do you make promises you never keep? Why can't you be like your sister? What's wrong with you? Jesus didn't do any of that. Instead, he came and said, go tell Peter. I'm going to meet him in Galilee. Tell him I'm still thinking about him. Tell him, He's the reason I died. A short time later, later, when Jesus appeared to him, his first words were peace. Peace be with you. Words of comfort. We don't have to make people feel guilty. They already are. Christ comes to set us free from that. In a short story called Capital of the World, Ernest Hemingway says, tells of a father and son who have a terrible fight. The son says some terrible things to his father, he later regrets, but the words are already spoken. He can't take them back. The son leaves home, sets out for Madrid, and it doesn't take too long for the father to begin to grow concern for his son, so he heads to Madrid to find him. And when he reaches the city, he realizes there's no way he can possibly find his son. So he took out an ad in the newspaper, which read simply, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana Tuesday at noon. All is forgiven. And then he waited, anxiously wondering whether his son would even see it or read it. How would he respond? Tuesday arrived. And with it, 800 men named Paco entered the Hotel Montana, hoping to find a forgiving father. This picture of grace, our Heavenly Father has put out an ad for each of us, which reads simply, all is forgiven. Meet me at the cross. The same son came not to condemn, but to seek and to save. And even at the fall, it shows God searching, calling out to Adam, where are you? Because no matter what you have done with your life, God still cares. His love is alive. It's not buried in some tomb. He's alive, the angel said. Go tell Peter. His failure is not an end. Tell Peter, I'm going ahead of you to Galilee. And it's there, if you remember the story, the disciples received the Great Commission. His failure did not mean that God could no longer use him. For those who say, he let me down before so he can't be trusted again. Look at Peter. The next time danger arose, when his head was literally on the line because of Christ, he stood up in the book of Acts and proclaimed, we serve God, not men. Years later, when in Rome, and he was arrested preparing to be crucified, he simply asked not to die as his master did because he wasn't worthy of him. So his tradition says he was crucified upside down. All the disciples, in fact, except John, died a martyr's death. All those who ran away and couldn't be found at the cross eventually went to their own crosses because God didn't give up on them. Perhaps that's why Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene. Many believe she's the harlot mentioned elsewhere in the Gospels that Jesus forgave. Jesus knew her past but he still loved her. She became an example of a second chance. God wasn't finished with Peter. He called him and he uses him just as he does with us. It's a wonderful story in No Wonder They Call Him Savior by Max Lucado, which says, The small house was simple but adequate. It consisted of one large room on a dusty street. Its red tile roof was one of many in this poor neighborhood on the outskirts of a Brazilian village. It was a comfortable home. Maria and her daughter Christina had done what they could to add color to the gray walls and warmth of the hard floor, dirt floor. An old calendar, a faded photograph of a relative, a wooden crucifix. The furnishings were modest, a pallet on either side of the room, a wash basin, and a wood-burning stone. Maria's husband had died when Christina was an infant. The young mother stubbornly refusing opportunities to remarry, she got a job and set out to raise her young daughter. And now, 15 years later, the worst years were over. Though Maria's salary as a maid afforded few luxuries, it was reliable and it did provide food and clothing, and now Christina was old enough to get a job and to help out. Some said Christina got her independence from her mother. She recoiled at the traditional idea of marrying young and raising a family. Not that she couldn't have had her pick of husbands. Her olive skin and brown eyes kept a steady stream of prospects at her door. She had an infectious way of throwing her head back and filling the room with laughter. She also had that rare magic some women have that makes every man feel like a king just by being near them. But it was her spirit of curiosity that made her keep all the men at arm's length. She spoke often of going to the big city. She dreamed of trading her dusty neighborhood for exciting avenues and city life. Just the thought of it, though, horrified her mother. Maria was always quick to remind Christina of the harshness of the streets. People don't know you there. Jobs are scarce, and life is cruel. And besides, if you were there, what would you do for a living? Maria knew exactly what Christina would do or would have to do for a living. That's why her heart broke when she awoke one morning to find her daughter's bed empty. Maria knew immediately where her daughter had gone. She also knew immediately what she must do to find her. She quickly threw some clothes in a bag, gathered up all her money, and ran out of the house. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing. Pictures. She sat in the photographer, photogra- photograph booth closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black-and-white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars hotels, nightclubs, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went to them all, and at each place, she left her picture, taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked on a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner of a phone booth, and on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures ran out, and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade these countless beds for her secure pallet, yet the little village was in too many ways too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs... Her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo, and written on the back was a compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. The cross is God's picture of his love. The empty tomb is that writing on the back. Whatever we have done, whatever we have become, it doesn't matter. God calls us to come home. The issue and question for us is, will we come home this Easter? Will you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you that you do invite each of us to come home. That you stand not just willing, but desiring, anxious for us to come longing for each of us, which is why you sent Jesus Christ, your Son, to die for us and to conquer death, that we might share that victory with him. We thank you for this Easter, this Resurrection Day, Lord, that we can celebrate, that we can remember him. And now prepare our hearts, Lord, as we do remember, as we partake of communion together, which Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We thank you that we can remember such a great sacrifice and such a great victory. Make it real for our individual lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask if the deacons can come. The scripture says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you We invite all who believe to participate with us. You don't have to be a member of our church. If you are a believer in Christ, we invite you to join us. But we do ask that everyone wait until everyone is served and we will partake together. That's Brent, if you could lead us in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come before you now and we thank you for this day and
0: for your love and grace and provision. We thank you for the symbolism of this memorial supper. Your Lord's Supper. Thank you for the body that was broken on our behalf, hanging on the cross. And we just love you and thank you for the gift of second chances and how you welcome us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Paul's longing also be ours when he said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Take and eat. And Ollie, would you lead us? Lord God, we celebrate your
0: birth this morning. We celebrate your resurrection, Father. We know, God, we thank you for what you did. The reason you did it for is for us, Father, that that we may have, through Jesus Christ's resurrection, have eternal life along with him, Father. As we partake of these elements here, only symbols, we pray that you will hold them dear to your heart and remember this morning until the time that we break bread and pour the wine together, Father. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us.
1: Continuing on in Philippians, Paul says, This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. Would you all please stand as we close this Resurrection Day service together with the, the words, Because He Lives. We celebrate, may each one have a blessed remainder of this easter sunday
2: god sent his son they called him jesus